Hello, I'm horror cartoonist Dennis St. John. I draw monsters and write twisted tales. As you can imagine, I was a little obsessed with Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Lucky for me, so were most of my high school friends, all except one. One friend who stubbornly refused to join the Scoobies. So here we are, 20-some-odd years later. I'm teaming up with Doc Travis, John Teach Landis, and maybe a special guest or two. And we're going to make our friend, Michael Poli, watch one episode of Buffy Week until he's no longer the Buffy Virgin. <laughs> Welcome to a very special episode of Buffy Virgin. <laughs> where we're going to talk all about the silent episode, Hush. I'm your horror host, Dennis St. John. With me, as always, is the Virgin. Oh, oh, this is Michael. I've only seen Buffy up to season four, episode 10, Hush. And our newest, uh, the newest, sorry, fuck. I, victim, <laughs> right? The newest victim. <laughs> the newest victim, Audrey. Say hello. I've been looking forward to this, and I want to pick another one to be on, too. If that's okay with you guys, I would love to be on some more future episodes, because this is so much fun for me. Yeah, heck yeah. Thanks. Uh, yeah. Yeah. You can find Audrey, Audrey on Instagram at Zinderella. How do you spell that? Uh, Zindler, like Cinderella, but with a Z. Z-I-N-D-L-E-R-E-L-L-A. <laughs> Thank you very much. <laughs> and now I'll stop. We also have our regular <laughs> guests of Lando and Trav. Why don't you guys say hi? Hey, what's up? Hello. <laughs> All right. Sorry about that. I was <laughs> feeling extra enthused about Hush. Uh, but before we get into Hush, let's uh, dive into reactions for Pangs. Audience reactions. Um, so we had some uh, strong reactions um, from YouTube. Uh, Mike, uh, why don't you read that from Silver Spike? Oh, man. Okay, Silver Spike says, oh, come on, Harmony's hardly an innocent. She's killed without remorse because she's a soulless vamp. She and Spike at this point are equally matched, IMO. I love Pangs and was lucky enough to meet Jane Espenson at a UK BuffyCon years back where they screened the episode and she did live commentary on the writing of this. The script had to be banged out extremely quickly and so Jane had a very limited amount of time to research the Native American tribe as to how sensitively the topic was handed. Well, if you take it into consideration how long ago this was written, I think it comes out fairly well when you compare it with what was going on at that time. TV's changed a lot since the 90s. It's all about context. To add, Jane told us that Spike's speech regarding conquering was written by Totally Whedon, and that his attitude towards Thanksgiving was that if folks want to be want to be celebrated or want to celebrate it authentically, then it should be eaten off the corpse of a Native American each year. <laughs> whoa, whoa, okay, that's crazy. Uh, you didn't say that. Uh, my favorite li favorite line, apart from everything Spike says, is Anya's. Everybody here got both ears. Uh, yeah, thanks for sharing that Espenson story. Uh, I think that's really interesting. Uh, I disagree with uh, Harmony and Spike being equals just because she's soulless. Uh, Spike's like got 120 years on her, right? And for what it's worth, I also like, as just the, not to pick on Silver Spike, because I really love all the comments that they put on the YouTube all the time, and I really love reading them. Um, but I think we've heard from a couple of people over the course of doing the podcast that we should be a little softer on some of the content because, oh, it was 20 years ago and times have changed. And to me, the 90s just don't feel like that long ago. I mean, I know that the political culture has shifted, but 
I don't think it's shifted that much. I think a Native American stereotype was stupid in the 90s, and I think it's stupid now. And I don't know. I'm going to call that stuff out when I see it. Yeah, I don't want to give any free passes either. Uh, it's clear. It's nice to know, or it's interesting to know that they were in a hurry to kind of bang it out or whatever, and that the the Spike's kind of conquering speech is from Whedon. I think it's really cool, though, that you got a, a, a live commentary by um, Jane Espenson. That sounds like a lot of fun. Yeah, that does sound like fun. A lot of apologies, right? <laughs> live <laughs> apology track? <laughs> uh, and uh, Kayapa Nagoi uh, said, uh, Mike asks, why Will doesn't like Anya? Uh, no one remembers Doppelgangland? Uh, obviously, I had forgotten about that. Uh, I'm a regular forgive and forget type. <laughs> Anya's just so likable. I mean, come on. Uh, and then over on Twitter, uh, Rich uh, at Dingo Action quoted uh, a good quote from Travis of, uh, he's not going to be making any more speeches after this. And then a gif of Riley punching Parker. <laughs> yeah, that's, uh, yeah, that's pretty funny. Um, I don't remember. I remember I went off on a tangent about that, but I kind of forgot about it. I said stuff like that. All right. Uh, so that was uh, the reactions I could find for Pangs. Uh, so thank you, guys. Uh, we will move on to the summary. This week it's provided by Audrey. And we will be quiet while we listen. The summary. Buffy's weird kiss dream in class reveals the gentleman's rhyme. Spike and Giles are roomies. That is, until Spike is passed off to Xander. What? 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 Willow's Wiccan group is full of posers and Tara. Riley thinks Buffy is, eh, special. Spike is tied to a chair, teasing Xander, while Olivia is visiting Giles and interrupting his research. One AM whispers float toward the clock tower into a box and it begins. Our lip reading muscles are being flexed while people begin to panic. Can Riley remember the override code in time? The TV works, but the gang hasn't a clue. Finally, a post-apocalyptic street kiss between Buffy and Riley. Aww. <laughs> the gentlemen float in with their insane escape henchmen. Olivia is the first to spot. <gasps> but who are they looking for? They knock on room 118 for a heart with a golf claps all around. Good thing Olivia is a very talented artist. Buffy's on patrol and Riley's squad is also geared up. Tara did some solo research and is looking for Willow only to be chased by the insane escaped henchmen. Everyone in the dorm is too afraid to open the door and help. Buffy holds her own with the henchmen and so does Riley to a degree. Another heart acquired when Tara bumps into Willow. Riley's surprised to see the end of Buffy's crossbow and her rope swinging action. Tara and Willow move a soda machine with the power of touchy hand holdies. Riley saves Buffy's heart with a lightning gun. Buffy still gets stabbed but notices the box from her dream. Riley smashes the wrong item and then the right one. <laughs> Voice Smokes returns to their owners and Buffy defeats the gentleman with a scream. Heads explode, 
Witches chat and lovers discuss new harsh realities. The end. Right. Yeah, that's awesome. That's great. <laughs> All right, let's move on to Great Lines. Great Lines. John, I think you have a proposal here. So here's what I think we should do. I think for this one, uh, maybe in addition to anybody's great lines they have, but I think we should do great gestures. And because this is an audio podcast in addition to the YouTube that we do, uh, here's how I think we should do it. I think each of us should take turns doing our favorite gesture from the episode. And then Mike, as the virgin, should have to describe in detail everything we're doing and then see if he can correctly guess which character we're performing and what uh, what is the meaning of that gesture. Okay, I accept this strange, strange situation. <laughs> All right. All right. I claim Anya's now. Okay. <laughs> I actually only put down hand, hand gestures as my lines this week. So. <laughs> All right. Uh, Dennis, do you want to start then since you have one ready to go? Uh, Dennis, uh, as Anya, made the classic let's go have sex gesture by putting uh, the, like making an opening with one hand and a pokey part with the other hand going into the opening. And uh, is that what you're expecting? <laughs> yes, that is excellent. It's perfect. That, that absolutely meets my expectations. Okay. All right. I'll go next. Uh, John held up a finger uh, as if he had something important to say. Um, is... <laughs> Are you being uh, Walsh pointing to the uh, uh, in, in case of emergencies, take the stairs? That is oh. incorrect. Oh, that's a good one. That was though. a good guess, though. I, I have no idea. That could, I feel like any character could. This is Giles uh, during his overhead presentation. Uh, and this is the shot that is used in the opening credits, which is why I thought people would do. <laughs> wow. I want to go next. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, that is the Buffy stabby gesture during the presentation that Giles puts on, and uh, it looks like she's um, she's jerking off a little bit, and it makes everybody uncomfortable, uh, <laughs> even though they know what she's trying to get across. Uh, correction, it makes the boys uncomfortable. <laughs> the girls are just fine; they don't even realize what's going on. And I then... think I I think their look is genuine confusion, also, because they're like, "Is Buffy going to jerk off the gentleman?" <laughs> What a move, Buffy. What a move. At least she had Mr. Pointy Handy and she could correct her, you know, stabby gesture. I could try one. Go for it. <laughs> so it's like a delicate gesture of uh, someone's, their sense of personal value, like that they're in there, they've done something important and meaningful. And I, I know from your note that it's Anya, but I don't know. I don't remember where, when she did that. Oh, no, it's uh, the gentleman presenting. Oh, oh it's the, the gentleman. <laughs> and then they, once they golf clap, he receives oh. the compliment gracefully. Oh, oh thank you. Oh, yeah, that's a good oh, mind. Oh, that's a great that's really one. That's a good one. All right, I got, well, I got one more. Uh, let's see if you can get this one. Oh, hips. So, so John... Right. Oh, oh, so John stood up and then like gestured to the size of his hips, what? I assume. Oh, yes. That's which a great uh, is Buffy one. reacting yeah. to the drawing of her that Giles does? <laughs> Excellent. Yes. Excellent, Mike. I think you got all those except for one. 
No, I, I think I missed it. two or three. Oh, okay, I feel whatever. like. <laughs> <laughs> There's one more that I really liked too, and I'm I'm not sure if I can remember exactly how he does it because I didn't think I would have to do the gesturing, but. Uh, so it's a shocked face and a finger point. Um, is it is it Xander? Yes. But I don't Who, know. I don't, I don't remember when. Who's he blaming though? I don't know. He's blaming for something. <laughs> and does anybody remember the response? Yeah, <laughs> there you go. <laughs> uh, so John then put the put like a victory sign, a V finger up, but it was like an insult. <laughs> I, I don't uh, know who's blaming. What is that? Who one? would do that? Who would do this? Spike. Yay! <laughs> oh, okay. So it's when he ties up Spike or whatever in his place? Yeah, when they woke up, everyone's voice is just... Oh, that's up. right. That's right. Okay. And it's it's Xander's immediate reaction is like, it's your fault! <laughs> I'll tell you, my memory of gestures is poor. <laughs> <laughs> I really do rely on the spoken word. All right, here's here's a new one I just did. <laughs> uh dennis wrote a note on a piece of paper or a message board and then uh oh. pointed at it and says come on come on <laughs> uh who, who did that one uh oh can i say yeah or, please yeah forrest does it while riley's trying to answer the answer the code he writes oh. come on come on as as if that's going to help he's like Take this time out so you can read me verbally. Read me saying, "Come on, come on." That was so goofy. That whole <laughs> elevator sequence is so goofy. Why would they make a kill elevator? Like a death <laughs> elevator. Like a whole movie apparently could be based you on can that. just go on the stairs and not put in any code. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> apparently, the security system is super lax. Zero. If you are like not so lazy, you need to take an elevator down. <laughs> it's like, it's like 50 stairs equals high, high security. Like it's like, I want to talk about this phenomenon in movies, where, but maybe we can do it later when they like rely on some weird fictional future technology to solve a problem. And then like, you see the, like the worst possible result happen. And like, you know, they, they kind of set up oddly that there's going to be this vocal based elevator. And then the worst possible thing that can happen <laughs> happens. <laughs> It's like chopping mall. <laughs> yeah, I, was, I, I just think immediately of Demolition Man when the eyeball, you know, there's a retinal scanner. And so, of course, oh, yeah. uh, you know, Wesley Snipes' character, like, stabs someone's eyeball with a scalpel and uses it to get through the retinal scan. They're like, you, I just learned of this technology. And now you're going to show me how it can be abused? <laughs> it's your classic murder-death-kill. Uh, does anyone have any uh, spoken... Uh, favorite lines from this episode we haven't covered oh oh yeah <clears throat> yeah giles um he says to buffy on the phone um yes it could be one of your prophetic dreams or it could be the eternal mystery that is your brain yeah <laughs> that was that weirded me out <laughs> it's also like dennis has been talking about buffy's prophetic dreams since like season one and i totally forgot that this they use this exact language because I never watched season four. Um, <laughs> oh, did I? That, did I get that? on you, Dennis? Yeah. Dreams, like, oh, because you stopped your rewatch at season three. Uh, two. two. <laughs> <laughs> You're like I just do seasons one, two, and then seven. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's like one, two, Buffy, then one, two, three, Angel, then back uh, to one, two, Buffy. I see. I see your loop. 
Uh, <laughs> Let's move on to the kill count. The kill count. So uh, three humans got their heart ripped out. Five gentlemen had their heads exploded. One bottle dies, one jar is broken, and one box is busted. I think I need to suggest a correction on that. Go ahead. The very first night, there were three jars with hearts in it. There's two. And then oh, the third, sure? ni- the second night, there's we only see one. There could be more, but I thought I saw like seven at the end of the episode. I, I thought they got four, three. right? I thought there was a ton of jars of hearts. I know there were empty jars. jars. Yeah, but they got because they smash an empty one. It would have been super gross if Riley smashed a full one. <laughs> uh, I could be wrong. Yeah, I'm willing to accept my mistakes. But before I do, why don't we just move on to weird noticings and trivia? Weird noticings. Uh, Audrey, I believe you've written down this whole gentleman's rhyme. Oh, yes, I did. Uh, I don't have a great little girl voice, though, but. (laughs) Great. (laughs) Probably better than ours. Yes, we guarantee it's better than our little girl voice. Can't even shout can't even cry the gentlemen are coming by looking in windows knocking on doors they need to take seven and they might take yours <laughs> can't call to mom can't say a word you're gonna die screaming but you won't be heard nice. the ending is the best part of that one the, you're gonna die screaming but you won't be heard uh, that the always first reminds... line is pretty creepy too though can't even <laughs> shout can't even cry they just start off with the bang right there yeah uh, the gentleman's rhyme always reminds me of the Freddy Krueger's rhyme. Do you guys know that? No. No. <laughs> I could do that. <laughs> Please. <laughs> One, two, Freddy's coming for you. Three, four, better lock the door. Five, six, grab your crucifix. Seven, <laughs> eight, ne- gonna stay up late. Nine, ten, never sleep again. Does that appear in all the movies? Uh, it appears in the. I, it might start in the second one and go throughout the rest of the series. Hmm. <laughs> uh, John, uh, you got the next note here about uh, about other notes about Giles's notes. Yeah, so Giles t- uh, starts taking notes on the gentleman, and uh, I actually went out and found the uh, the awful HD version of this episode, so I could like freeze frame these notes and try to piece them together as best I could. So if you look at the bottom of the document here, there's my best uh, effort to get the best versions of the different like wow. shots you get and piece them together. <laughs> I try to figure out. First of all, you're really serial I- killer. Was- <laughs> first thing I want to like acknowledge here is that Giles's notes are like a crazy person's like <laughs> this is like that like kevin spacey's notebook from seven is what it looks like wow. it says gentleman at the top with like arrows pointing to it everywhere and the number seven is just scrawled randomly on the page in like different writing implements and question marks so he's written a lot of things here the main thing in ink is just that the rhyme that we just heard but then like in pencil are his are his like other notes and the parts that i was able to tell are hilarious it says first of all the top seven is the key Mm-hmm. It says uh, his note to himself is uh, look for refer- references to gentlemen, English poetry, limericks? Question mark. Oh, he's so close. 
Yes. Uh, and then uh, the next the next thing he wrote is um, maybe a political reference to, and there's something I can't quite make out, but it's two words. It's like two words that both start with G. Little references to GG something. And then uh, Ring of Roses. So he's like connecting it to Ring Around the Rosie, which connects to the plague, he writes in all caps. People lost their something in their something. And that's off, that's off to the side. You can't really read that whole thing. And then my favorite part <laughs> is up in the corner, he writes political reference to regarding Bill of Rights. So there's some connection in Giles's mind between the gentleman and the Bill of Rights. I don't know if it's like a First Amendment issue. People can't, you know, freedom of speech. I don't know what he's making. I don't know what he's getting. There. Wow. I, I will take uh, maybe... You know, you're just personally attacking me. These notes don't seem insane to me. <laughs> like my my notebooks aren't. This is that a Rorschach test. They're like really. This is a pretty typical page for me. Like a lot of scribbling, and I definitely I, circle things and point arrows. Yeah, so but I'm, you didn't write the number seven eight times and then circle it in with like thirty question marks. Around. Is it weird that he wrote seven eight instead of seven seven? <laughs> I mean, when Giles presents his stuff, it's it's like his presentation is very thoughtful. It's mostly visual for his uh, illiterate audience. Like, <laughs> like this is clearly a crib. Like, you can't judge a man on his notes. That's for him. <laughs> That's for him alone. Here you are attacking a man on his notes. Which, by the way, had to be pieced together like a madman. <laughs> I would say the piecing together process is the best part here, because you have three images. One, which is completely out of focus, which I love. Uh, that one which was, is like, at an oblique angle on the table, and then I had to, like, undistort it, like... Dude, yeah. this is rad. This feels like a collage. It's like a Dadaist collage. It feels like on, a, on one of those crime movies where someone's like, enhance. enhance. <laughs> and it becomes an HD quality. Uh, so Spike's blood and food habits are like the complete opposite of Angel's. Like, because we've been watching season one of Angel. He has this whole thing about how he doesn't eat and like food doesn't taste good to him until he's, or unless he's human, if that ever happens. Um, and Spike just doesn't care. Spike puts like wheat thins in his blood. Uh, so. I love, I love the little bickering between Giles and Spike about <laughs> like the roommate stuff. I yeah. thought that was so cute. Yeah, I like, like last episode he was like all tied up and they're abusing him, and this episode he's like really like, he's home now. There, he's very comfortable. <laughs> yeah, just to jump in, uh, you know, what is Spike's living situation currently? Because he's a he's living as a hostage, right? Like <laughs> theoretically, he's a hostage. Yeah, he's just under like constant supervision. He's just being babysat because, like, Giles is like, oh, "I got company coming over." Xander, you gotta take him. So, <laughs> because like I get it that our characters are the heroes, so they can't be cruel, you know, because that would look badly on them. But they still can't let Spike go for some reason because he's dangerous. Or they don't badly. have a budget. They don't have a budget for an ankle bracelet, so they gotta. <laughs> And also, I don't know if you guys have noticed uh, that James Marsters is in the opening credits now, so they can't just stake him. Oh. If only. Now look, I've seen people get removed from the credits. <laughs> no, Oz is gone and Spike is in. Yeah, there's so much like um, talk of like tying him up and like Spike watching people have sex this episode. It's like, it's getting very... <laughs> deep into my old my old like this show is weirdly kinky uh conversation again yeah i mean i think it's reasonable to tie him up because like i said he could still you know like poison you or set your house on fire like he's still like a bad guy he still doesn't have a soul he's still like you know he's 
bad news. That's a good question about like the mechanics of Spike's chip thing. Like, if is he allowed to like set traps? Like, you can't just bite yes. people, but can he like scare? Yeah, can he set up the situation that somebody would like have a truck fall on him, then he can like lap the blood off off the street or whatever he's into? Mm-hmm. I don't know. Those are good. Those are good uh, semantic conversations to have. <laughs> it's like. Um, He's, it's like, does Spike follow the rule, the like three laws of robotics? Um, <laughs> I spike, you know? He's in such a weird place right now. I don't know why that's so funny. <laughs> like, like, can him, him not doing action causing a human to harm uh, hurt him? It's such a strange thing to write in at this point. Like, it feels like another character, just like how um, I, can't, I'm, I always forget the woman that came out, my mouse. Uh, Amy. Amy, Amy, Amy shit. Amy, Amy like Amy, it's like Amy became a rat and it's just like, cool, she's a rat now. Spike is just living <laughs> in someone's house now. It's just like these weird characters that like, the show's like, don't forget about these. But also like, the show's not sure what to do with them. <laughs> yep. Don't forget about Jonathan either, Mike. Oh gosh, I can't forget about Jonathan. <laughs> Spoilers. We'll never let you forget about Jonathan. <laughs> nice, your favorite character. I get it. And he was there the whole time. I also like uh, Travis. You're like he could like be maxing out your credit cards. Like he is still evil. Like he could steal from you. Like he might not be able to harm harm you, but he could like totally he's rob like, you. He's like at least ten times. And you can you can do the math. You can do the comic book math on me on this. But he's at least ten times more evil than Loki, right? Like what? I don't know. I'm just, I'm just trying to I'm trying to do some comic book math on this. Like he's he's definitely more evil than that character, and that character talking about MCU version of Loki. MCU MCU <laughs> version. Well, I, it's dealer's choice, but because uh, I'd say MCU because Tom Hiddleston is Hiddleston is so charming. We like yeah. him more than comic book Loki has just always been a dick. There's no never been any like real redemption arc arc for him. Yeah, I don't I don't like sorry, I don't like talking about comics. I'm sorry. I just keep doing it. <laughs> what a liar. <laughs> yeah, I was gonna say I don't I think Loki's worse than Spike, but that's Whoa. Okay. Know, comic okay. Book, comic book version, definitely. Definitely worse. Okay. And the worst Spike's ever done is being a mass murderer versus Loki trying to actually like enslave the earth. I feel like that's a I don't know. Those are both terrible things as I say them out loud. <laughs> he also doesn't even heat up his blood. He just drinks it cold. No microwave. Well, it's hot in Sunnydale. I was just thinking, like, you know, when he's got a fiance to heat it up for him, then he can do it. I mean, what's this, like, hobo lifestyle that Spike has? Like, he's just drinking blood from the fridge that everybody's getting for him, taking care of him. It's like, he's like the dude just hanging out in this episode. Listen, we've all had or been that mooching friend. That dude. That's a friend who just had nothing going on, just couldn't go anywhere, had no cash. I feel attacked. <laughs> we never said your name. Yeah, I said we all feel that. We all had that time in our lives. Yeah, yeah. It's been both of us, John, at different points. Um, so uh, during the Wicca talk, uh, it ends with them being like, you know, we're doing a Bach and all. I was just like, is the Bach and all the Wiccan equivalent of a kegger? Uh, sounds pretty serious for this group of mellow folks. But like the Bach and alls were like in historical Roman times or whatever, were like pretty crazy. Like 
it's like getting drunk for days and sacrifices happen and stuff. I assume they're not going to do that part. One thing about the Wiccan group, though, I thought that <laughs> Willow's like point of, oh, this I can't hang with these people was when they were super concerned about the bake sale. Like, Willow's like, when are we going to get to spells? They're like, but we need to focus on the bake sale. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I said that woman who kept like uh, uh, controlling the conversation, like, I mean, that's one of those things where they did a really good job of like, within like two minutes of meeting a person, like you get how manipulative she is and that she's shutting Tara down while saying Tara talk. Cause you know, this character has a fear of public speaking, like the way yeah. they're manipulating the power structure of this like hippie group, like was a really good, like you've created a character I don't like within like just five seconds, you know? I don't know if I would even call it a hippie group, but I, uh, I don't know. It, it, it feels like, to me it felt like the show was kind of, um making an easy target of new agers which I th yeah this yeah. particular viewing felt a little shitty yes it did it definitely i definitely agree with you there it it, it also seemed like uh yeah it, it seemed to yeah really kind of um discount like this this entire like group or theology just because it wasn't it was not what willow was expecting well it was like a, like a genuinely magical person meeting with muggles right <laughs> yeah <laughs> But also, like, what what itch does Willow got to scratch? I mean, she's like, I mean, she really wants to scratch this magic itch, right? She doesn't want to like give herself up to a vengeance demon, right? But she also like doesn't want to just talk about magic. She like wants to do spells. I think she's getting tired of being like the only witch she knows. It's like if you're gonna level up, you gotta like not be like the best witch you know, right? That makes sense. But her rat friend is a witch. She's got, she knows witches. They, she knew witches earlier, right? Like back in high school. Yeah, you know what? Uh, we haven't seen what happened to, to Michael, right? That was the other witch. Oh, yeah. Where's Michael at? Uh, so now we've got to the point of the show where the muting happens. Um, and Travis, you got the first couple notes about that. Oh, yeah. I, I, I just... It was just, I know, I think Audrey had something to say about this too, about the, the, the computer voice, that robotic voice. Was it ever cool? I don't think so. I, <laughs> I don't think it was cool. Yeah. <laughs> it was so weird to hear it because we still hear these, these, these artificial voices. I mean, now we have more advanced ones like Siri and whatever, et cetera, et cetera. But honestly, they don't sound that much better to me than this one from the year 2000 you know i liked though that she was typing on this like giant like bat God. computer <laughs> like, just use a pc come on sure surely you have a speak function i taught an entire day that way once when i had laryngitis <laughs> i'm sorry john i didn't know that um oh yeah i like how the gentlemen are dressed in this episode they're really yeah, I'm a big fan. I'm not sure I would, I'm not saying that I would be part of the gentleman group. Um, if, 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 like, I'm not saying it came to that. I'm not saying that because I don't, I won't know until I'm truly tested, right? Like, you don't really know how you're going to make a decision until you have to make that decision. But I like the uniform. I, what, I, what I, do, the <laughs> I do get the idea that they're like, maybe we're ex doctors and that's why they're yeah. walking around with scalpels and like insane patients and stuff like yeah. i could see you like you know you don't jump into immediately being a gentleman you're at first like well let me uh join this club where i wear the suit and we uh experiment with different surgery techniques and like a hundred years later you're like 
did I get here? No, no, this is how it starts. Oh, I start, go- I start going to the same tailor as these guys. Okay, <laughs> that's how it starts. And then but when's like- the test come out? When it's like, when do they say like, and now we remove human hearts from people while they're screaming, but we can't, you know, they're silenced. I think it's when you knock the teeth out and for in favor of all like metal teeth. Right. That's like a big, I'm not turning back from here moment. Yeah. That's like a gang, like a gang style initiation. (laughs) Well, you know, Travis, you'll never get a real job with Jaws teeth. (laughs) Metal teeth are are just so much more efficient. You don't have to brush them. Think of the time it saves. I mean, they're gloriously terrifying. I mean, I'm not pro Jaws teeth (laughs) for myself, but I was like, wow. You guys saying that you wouldn't join the gentleman? <laughs> no, it's, it's never occurred to me. It uh, never. I mean, there's they're they're not accepting any new members, and also if I did, I would be one of the stupid guys wearing like a broken you know straight jacket running around monkeying my way scaring people. I wouldn't be a cool gentleman. Oh, yeah, so those... like like Travis becomes a gentleman and he recruits us to be his like gimbal. Yeah. Guys. I see. I was just calling them the insane escaped because it, it's like straight jackets, but they're not tied up. The straight jackets like undone. So what's yeah. the story with them? Do they have a backstory? It's all in your head. <laughs> all right. I was gonna ask you: Is it was there mannerisms with the with like the excessive motion? Was that like a st- is that very like stage direction versus um, like you know trying to exaggerate motion? If you're on a stage, you can't walk around. It just came up weird on on the episode, like overly excessive motion of the arms it might it might have been overly excessive but i think it it really balanced the factor or illustrate uh help point out that the gentlemen themselves are floating yeah so like super contrasty yeah Yeah. contrast movements also i when you're talking about the gentleman recruiting i did just have a thought too what kind of occupation where they want everyone to be quiet the library what if what if the gentlemen are all librarians (laughs) What about like, ex-watchers? Ex-watchers. <laughs> <laughs> so what happens when they get seven hearts, though, right? Like, we haven't even gotten to that. Like, they didn't... The rhyme doesn't really cover... Maybe that's how more gentlemen are recruited. So you get seven, and then they make an eighth? I they make another gentleman? I his presentation that that's just basically when they leave town. And go yeah. To I think it's an end unto itself. It's like seven hearts. It's on their shopping list, and then they go. They go home. Maybe they. So, if, uh, so I mean, if the gentleman actually got five hearts, Buffy really only saved two lives. Yeah, hers and Willow's. Great. <laughs> That's kind of a rough episode. <laughs> what I've been saying about Buffy for for years now, only just helping. I think that they maybe need the hearts to live forever. That they. That's my, that's my thought. Yeah. We saved two sevenths of the people some of the time. <laughs> So this whole, like the whole mute situation, I feel like would just play so differently now and be more boring visually now. Cause we all have, we can all text. We would, we would all be on Slack and it would be like, <laughs> like, like we wouldn't miss a beat. You know, there's some days I don't actually talk until lunch. Like I'm just on the, on the computer. Until That's interesting. Then. I don't have that luxury working in the retail environment. Yeah. Yeah, that's rough. <laughs> I live with a woman. We have. I can't do that. That's so cruel. That would be the cruelest torture. I definitely have a, a rule of I don't speak until after coffee. Uh, that's whoa. How I live my life. All right, wow. Dad. 
something else I fun that I that I loved about this episode after everybody lost their voices is all of the store signs about being closed and the street scene and everything. And then you happen upon the liquor store. <laughs> yes, we're open. <laughs> that was so very accurate. I assure you we're open. <laughs> yeah. I also like the businessman who was in the middle of the street weeping. Cause it was like this dude, like there's more to this guy's story than just losing his voice. He's like, this is the straw that makes me really, really reevaluate my entire life. I'm in the middle of the street weeping in the middle of the day. Maybe he was an as- aspiring voice actor. <gasps> <laughs> I love the message board gag. That was such a good dumb gag. And then they immediately bought message boards. Yeah. I like, yeah, was it was a such joke. a fun, unexpected thing. Uh, much better than the elevator of death gag. <laughs> uh, so I just wanted to uh, say uh, that Everyone knows uh, Doug Jones. Doug Jones was one of the gentlemen. Um, and I'm going to talk a little bit more about his filmography later. Uh, but I just wanted to shout out to another of the proper gentlemen is Camden Troy, uh, who is going to play several of the most notable monsters in both Buffy and Angel in future episodes. So I'll point out when he shows up. He's a really good monster man also. Uh, what is he in on Angel? I've seen a bit of Angel. Uh, he doesn't show up until season five of Angel. Um, oh, I never mind. It's, I guess it's not spoilers to say that the character name he plays is called the Prince of Lies. Uh, he's pretty good. Do you know who that is, Trev? Yeah, I think so. Yeah. All right. I actually have a question. Do you, and nobody may actually know the answer to this, but um, who is the design, like the monster makeup special effects designer that helped like conjure up the gentleman to begin with do we know it all uh well john volich is the series designer so he's designed most of the monsters Mm -hmm. um i think this is one that uh just whedon had a specific hand in i will pull up my months my buffy monster book right now Uh, (laughs) so this is a quote from joss um from before the episode aired he says i'm about to design a new batch for an episode i'm doing he said at the time, I want to get back to that creepy sort of silent movie Nosferatu kind of fear. And then he goes in about how Nosferatu is definitely big and he loved that movie as a kid. Um, so I think it was probably Joss having initial ideas and then John Volich, if I'm pronouncing his name right, who just recently died a couple of years ago, uh, doing the actual designing and the making of it because he's the series designer for this. I do want to add one more thing about The Gentleman 2, which is not exactly episode related. I uh, had the pleasure in Orlando, Florida to going to Halloween Horror Nights, which I hate. Uh, being <laughs> Me and Mike scared. have done those. Yeah, we love but, it. But that one year I went that I got talked into going, there were gentlemen stilt, wa- uh, stilt walkers. Mm. So they were just kind of really floating around and they look so creepy awesome. And that was the thing that like made the whole night worth it. It was, it was overall not a fun night for me, but seeing the gentleman, <laughs> that was, that was great. I loved it. <laughs> They're such a great bad guy. I, I mean, I have tons of questions about it, which I'm sure we'll get to, but love it. Uh, so John, uh, you got some biblical trivia for us? Yeah, in the uh, when we the we first walked through sort of the post-apocalyptic Sunnydale uh, downtown, the uh, the there's a like a church congregation in the street, and the guy has a sign that says Revelations fifteen one, which is 
And I saw another sign in heaven, great and marvelous, seven angels having the seven last plagues, for in them is filled up the wrath of God. Yeah, so it's about sevens, which is kind of cool. I just like it as a detail that whoever that crazy priest is with the, like, apocalypse in the street, he was on to something. He knew what was going on. So he's in the Yeah, if you're a fire and brimstone, like, let's refer to the Book of Revelations type preacher, you're going to get a lot of work in Sunnydale. (laughs) Maybe he was another lackey of the gentleman to begin with to oh. strike more fear in the people because I think a lot of the 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 taking the voices away is to heighten fear. Like mm. maybe they feed off the fear. <laughs> Perhaps. What's the episode where Amy becomes a rat which has the super complicated <laughs> villain, right? That's like the children that die. It's the Hansel yeah. and Griddle. It's gingerbread, right? Yeah, it's yeah. Gingerbread. This, this is like, if also there's a guy, a Revelations guy, like, that's like <laughs> bordering on just as complicated as that episode. I as believe as how the villain you, operates. you even made a prediction about that episode that which we're going to confront this episode, right? Uh, so, that's correct. That's I correct. completely forget this prediction. <laughs> I love how you're just like so spot on obsessed with the friggin' Amy Rat episode. <laughs> I think it's great. I love it. All right. Um, Oh yeah. So Jow, so you guys correct me. Jow's apartment really is a loft in the, in the top. I thought he had rooms up there, but it really looked like a loft when he was sleeping with that lady. He just like got up and walked downstairs. So I I totally misunderstood. I, I didn't realize he had a loft apartment. I think we knew that based on uh, the episode Jenny? where Jenny dies, right? See, I always remember that happening in a room. Like, I felt like that room had doors and stuff. But Although I, think- I will say, like, the way shows sometimes, like, never reveal entirely what a layout, the layout of a place is so they can yeah. open an extra room if they ever need it for story reasons. Yeah. We never see all of the hallway between the kitchen and the bathroom. I feel like there might be another door there that people go to sometimes. We definitely learned this episode that Giles shares that courtyard with his neighbors. Yes. Because there's a shot of one. Yes. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> oh my God. We also learned that uh, Giles doesn't mind. pick up his girlfriend from the airport, which I yeah. think is kind of rude. Is there a floor plan for Giles' place in like <laughs> another like expanded, you know, universe manual, something we can buy and just like nail it down? What's the fun in that, Mike? <laughs> Listen, there are there are actual designs for Buffy's house. Yeah, that, that are on that are available online, uh, like architectural blueprints. <laughs> also, yeah. So Sunnydale's got an airport, a zoo. Uh, we don't have to run through them all, but actually, you know, there's a good map in the statistics book. Uh, shit, which isn't near enough me. There's a good map of Sunnydale and just its surrounding area because there's so much insane stuff in it because it's got like. You know, Got that one main street with the movie theater with the marquee <laughs> yeah. coffee shop. Yeah, somehow has like an international airport, right? <laughs> uh, I, uh, so when they listen to the news report and they're like, it's laryngitis. The town's got laryngitis. I wondered like, now that the mayor is gone, like who's running Sunnydale and pumping out all the lies to, main- to maintain mm. like normal Sunnydale to the greater public, right? Just another PR guy, a part of the hush Just, monster, yeah. you know, like dozen monsters that are created in the hush world just part of the machine man i think i think this is a specific to sunnydale thing that no matter what monstrous things happen there's a pr guy ready to like he doesn't even know what the monster is but he knows it's It's probably the watcher council probably them they're just like who cares 
Also Who's... about Sunnydale, like how many clock towers? Are in? <laughs> <laughs> oh, there's more than one clock tower episode I know for sure. So that's true. Yeah, I like that. This is a very specific. Like, oh, Tim Burton designed this clock tower. <laughs> it's like Sunnydale, city of clock towers. You know, like somewhere like city of bridges, and... clock towers, and creepy mansions. <laughs> So glad you mentioned that. Did Tim Burton get invited to the set for one day or three days to like, you know, come up with some of the gentlemen like face masks or something? Man, in addition to the clock tower. Uh, Audrey, do you want to do the the music note or was that just sure. a note for? Well, um, I am a musician as well oh. for fun, and so I always am listening to soundtracks. I love soundtrack you know, movie and TV show soundtracks. And I love that they picked Camille Sanson's Dance Macabre as Giles's Scantron uh, review background music. It's very kind of him to put, you know, to keep, to gather everybody's attention to put on some music for them. <laughs> okay, I have to, I'm sorry. <laughs> what? I just, this is the worst pedantry. I, and, I'm, I'm so, and I'm the worst. In, a, in an episode of you being full of this stuff, John. Yeah, I'm sorry. Uh, on brand. A couple times I have said, uh, you said, you said uh, Scantron, which is, Scantron is the bubble test. These oh, are, that's right. These are uh, overhead transparencies. Transparencies. Yeah. That's what it is. Uh, I don't know why. So, okay. Sorry, I'm going right. to burn in hell for making this. Uh, oh, no, 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 no. Thank you for correcting me because I, it's been too long since I've been in school. This is the reveal. <laughs> they don't, well, and they don't use either scantrons or overheads anymore, I assume. Or at least oh, they don't my. use overheads. John? Um, my school, actually, we got rid of our last overhead projectors within the last 10 years. We were using them pretty recently, actually. Uh, yeah, it's all almost now. Yeah, how many of them not... are in your place? How many of them in your apartment? <laughs> oh, is man, that, is that really, what you're going to ship to us? I really wanted to take home uh, a bunch of those. I ended up not taking any of them. I do have a lot of weird, old, outdated school technology in my house, though. Um, yeah, we can talk about my collection of film strip projectors <laughs> if you want. <laughs> uh, just um, <laughs> trade them all, though, for an overhead projector. <laughs> Audrey, you were trying to say something valuable about the overhead <laughs> presentation. Oh, it it's all right. Also, I mean, just the rest of the soundtrack for this episode is really good. Uh, Christoph Beck. The whole soundtrack the, is great. The series uh, composer. He really had to like step it up a notch this episode because like the soundtrack really carries more than it usually does. And I want to thank Travis for sending me the full Buffy vampire soundtrack collection. Uh, I definitely listened to the hush tracks uh while i was working this week yeah i bought uh, a buffy soundtrack too recently for 250 i got just the just the stuff they play at the bronze and at various college parties that's awesome oh yeah there's a there's a guided by voices song on that soundtrack yeah, yeah. teenage yes, fbi sir. it was yeah. awesome i was it's great yeah and if anybody else wants to listen spotify also has the soundtrack up Oh. Listen, while we're talking about this, I just was texting Mike the other day about how, how we're getting so close to the musical episode. So, <laughs> Yeah, like, just a couple more years. <laughs> it's going to be less than a year, right? Well, I, I will say, like, one thing I, I didn't ever notice, I didn't ever mention in the notes, but, like, um, seasons four, five, and six all have their, like, standout episode. They're, like, one really strong episode. And it, it happens this three in a row, and it's a really distinct thing about Buffy to me 
and Hush is that standout episode for season four, and the musical is that for season six. Um, but it's just yeah, this is like this is like this weird peak that the show can apparently only do like one episode of this quality a, a year. It's not my favorite episode from season four, but it's great. Dude. I, I really love the episode that Harmony appears on when uh, this Harmony and Spike mash up. That was the best like mind fuckery so far. <laughs> this is a good episode though. It's a great episode. Uh, Mike, why don't uh, you do this next one? Sure. So um, Giles talks about the Hush monster as a fairy tale monster. What fairy tale? I mean, I love it if it's just a generic fairy tale concept, but uh, I'd love to hear uh, what fairy tale it is. And if not, what's your explanation for the original Hush fairy tale? Uh, so it's most, my, my answer to this, based on the Buffy monster book, uh, I mean, it's basically a just original creation, but framing it as a fairy tale monster gives it that like ancient tale and, and specifically is built to be like, this is a tale for children. This is something that's supposed to get you back to your fear of sleep. Um, but it's most, in terms of fairy tales that, that already exist, that's most similar to, it's probably most similar to the German Sandman, uh, which I will talk about in themes and deep noticings, but he's kind of a, a deep notes, themes and deep thoughts or whatever we call this section we talk about every single week. Um, but I'd say it's most similar to that, to the, like the German Sandman from the 1800s. Unless anyone else has a similar fairy creature. Can you explain though, does the Sandman want to explain the insane people that like no. run out in front to like fuck with people? No, it doesn't have the insane people. Cause I feel like there's such an unnecessary part of this thing, except if you just want Riley to be like busy with doing something else. Cause you don't want Riley to confront the gentleman directly. <laughs> I still disagree, though. The gentlemen are too prim and proper to hold someone down when their heart's getting cut out. Yeah. Even though even though they can't scream for help, they can still wiggle like crazy. Like the, the whole example we saw in the dorm with the first guy who opened the door and then got held down on his bed. Yeah, I agree. I think that they're there to like do all the labor. And these, the labor. Gen- these are gentlemen. These are not... These are men of scholarly yeah. knowledge and leisure not of physical labor they're soft baby-handed individuals <laughs> that can hold a scalpel and a heart hey, hey. <laughs> i don't like i don't like this talk i don't like these these derogatory but, but why not have nurses or nurse assistants or something like that i mean i mean i don't know if i should bring up the italian job but it's been a while since i brought up the italian job oh is it uh the guy who plays oz isn't he in that <laughs> In the Italian job, you got different job titles, right? The gentlemen are the braids, and you get those crazy guys are the muscle. I mean, these guys didn't have a driver, and they didn't have an explosives guy. But if you want to make a two-hour feature-length film about the gentleman, I bet you add on, you bet you add on a driver and explosives. Did you just use the Italian job as a way to explain the concept of brain versus brawn? <laughs> Heist, I was no, he's talking about the team. I mean, he could yeah, use Mission Impossible, but that's yeah. not in his wheelhouse. Not my used it's not my brand. <laughs> and it's not even the original Italian job. It's a the remake. It's the remake, man. Oh, dear. Uh, so I was saying uh, that uh, Doug Jones and Camden Troy, who uh, you know are the two of the gentlemen, they look really good. Uh, and the other three uh, background gentlemen are wearing a fixed mask uh, for their smiles 
and it, it just doesn't quite work as well. Um, totally agree. That has always bugged me. That like there you have two that look amazing, and then like the ones in the background are like Halloween masks. Yeah. Well, and it's not a Halloween mask. It's just I think it's just a half mask. But they then exaggerate the mouths more than they than are mm-hmm. like humanly capable, and it totally like it just doesn't fit. Uh, it doesn't work. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so I was saying uh, during the big chase with Willow's new Wiccan friend, um, I love the simple device of her banging on the wrong door. And like, you know, because Willow hears the door knocking, you think that they're going to open up to her, but instead it opens up and it's the gentleman with another heart. Uh, I thought that was awesome. That she was like, banging on any door and every door just to try to get help or to go in somewhere to hide. Like, Yeah, she's in full flip out. Like, Yeah. I don't. Plus, she's never been to Willow's before. She just looked up where what dorm room she was supposed to be in before she ventured out, and then started getting chased. So, I mean, got the building right, but <laughs> she got close enough. Yeah. yeah, but just like Willow hears the knocking and goes to the door, and the way it's timed, it's like it's supposed to be her door, but it's not. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, I just thought you know, like silent stuff. I'm really a big fan of like silent storytelling, and I think for an episode that like claims it's all about silent storytelling still like tells a lot of story through dialogue uh i want to get into that i want to get into that (laughs) this is like one moment like like during this big finale and stuff uh they do a good job with the silent storytelling for these little chunks and that's kind of a common thing i can't remember i'm sure i've seen a, a horror movie where someone is like running and then they're like they they think they're safe they knock on the door and then the bad guys are there so it's also kind of like a horror trope but like kind of kind of magnified right it's it's like it's they amp it up even more and they do it a little better than like yes yeah, so much better know, jason Voorhees' ability to teleport yeah it was it was great uh john you got another nerdy noticing okay so uh the uh, one of my favorite uh characters from seasons one through three is the drink machine and i love how willow acknowledges it in graduation she's like oh my drink machine i press the button and i get the wrong drink and then the drink machine has miraculously been revived in this episode if uh you check the um the notes at the very bottom on the left is this episode <laughs> on the right is graduation yep cold drink um, not yep. only is it the cold drinks machine, but if you look at the buttons, yeah, all the, the same, buttons man. are the same. It's beautiful, man. Great. You see, so I mean, uh, that's amazing. I never, I didn't notice that. That's amazing. Can I, can I say something that the other that uh, buffering pointed out that I'm embarrassed I never noticed as many times I'm watching the show and they, and we have not commented on. I don't know if anyone else notices that Buffy's dining hall is the cafeteria from the high school. Oh shit! Really? Yeah. They pointed it out, and I was like, what? After all this time. <laughs> I never noticed that. No, ditto. I. That's wonderful. So yeah, shout out to another podcast. Uh, <laughs> I should go listen to them. They're smarter than us. <laughs> they noticed this thing I didn't notice. Uh, but thank you, J- John, for that sort of machine update. <laughs> uh, Trev, why did you go into the next one? Oh yeah, I love it. Um, it was you said I forget her name. Olivia is yeah. Giles' girlfriend. Calls him pretentious. Yeah, that's pretty amazing. And she, she was his girlfriend a couple episodes ago, right? Yeah, uh, last season, episode right? one, episode oh, one, of season four, episode one. This yeah. season, oh, okay. Less of a girlfriend, more of an orgasm friend, I think. <laughs> no, you just care about. You don't fly across the. You don't fly across the pond 
just for physical intimacy. Well, but okay, here's my <laughs> thing. Why? Okay. It, By the way, I want, I want a show called Here's My Thing. I want a totally new show. <laughs> Why? It, it seems like she learns this episode that monsters are real. But he's been telling her they're re- real. You know, he was in Pink Floyd or whatever <laughs> lies. He's got a boring his job. He's like, I used to be a rocker. I used to have this earring in my ear. I just want this. The basis of this relationship seems insane. Like I know she doesn't get picked out. up from the airport. I know that. Well, how do you think they met then? What's the story then? Is it a Ripper Days GF? No, because then she'd believe in magic because they no, did all those bad things. She calls him Ripper, so she must at least kind of know him from that circle. Maybe his and Ripper Days lasted longer than we... When no. she was, uh, when she came to sleep with him before, it was kind of the impression was given that she was in town anyway, or she was in the area anyway, and she was just like dropping by. Because she says, I, you know, she says, I, uh, I couldn't be, you know, pass through the area without dropping in on old Ripper here. That's what she says, something like that. So I kind of feel like they're not really that intimate. I mean, that's what you say to someone when you can't say like, no, we are, we got a relationship. It's just on the down low. Yeah. Also, she's not even puzzled. Like, I think she's, she's got to know a lot of details about his life because she's not even puzzled by why is this teenage girl visiting? (laughs) Were they flirting with a third, like another spinoff series Ripper at this time? Because it seems like the way they're dropping this backstory, they could easily enter into something complicated, you know, like, Giles doesn't belong on the show anymore. There's no reason to have him there, right? So, like, you could easily have at the end of season four or even during the season a Ripper thing kind of emerge and, like, follow some of these characters around. Maybe, anyway. It it just seems like there's so much more going on in that relationship. Like, I totally agree. It's like, let's follow up on it. And if you are Maybe, all still uh, confused, that means it doesn't <laughs> get followed up on later. Maybe uh, something for predictions. I don't know. Well, great. Oh yeah, okay. And then I said Buffy was a princess long before the Disney acquisition, but we all knew that way before this episode. Right, because only a princess's scream can uh, kill the gentleman. Yeah. Does Disney own Buffy now or something? Uh, yeah. Yeah. Okay. When did that happen? Oh, uh, it's uh, part month. of the yeah. The oh, with the Fox, Fox. It was the Fox acquisition. Mm, yeah, there's okay. a bunch of yeah. the Fox because. It's interesting because Disney, although they own everything in the world, has had like a very specific taste thing, whereas Fox has been more of a grab bag. So the stuff that they grabbed is really weird because like now technically they own Rocky Horror Picture Show also. Like, you know. Yeah, they own everything. If Dr. Frankenfurter becomes an official Disney villain. uh... Or princess. (laughs) So when do we get the Buffy Star Wars crossover then? Oh my gosh. I mean, they don't like to have their cross to their properties cross over. There's an all the Lego universe can properties cross over. Yeah. You got to get some Buffy Legos out there. And those are all like Warner Brothers properties. The the creator of Archive of Our Own is like a hotshot novelist now. And like she was on a couple, uh, uh, there's some news articles that I was reading about her. I was like, on an archive of our own, I'm sure there's a crossover between Buffy and Star Wars. Oh, yeah. It's got to happen, yeah. Well, I mean, who would Buffy hook up with in the Star Wars universe? Uh, what do you mean? Like, she has to hook up with someone? No. She could just show up and kick ass. Yeah. yeah. Maybe she can... Uh... She totally have a bad boy thing for Admiral Thrawn. I just... Ice <laughs> vampires on Hoth. 
Right. They need a Buffy. Yeah, she'd totally be into um, a Sith because she she likes. likes oh, you're right. She totally. Yep. General Grievous. <laughs> what? One of the Siths. I don't know. I think she'd be into Kylo Ren. Kylo Ren's got a very much of an angel. Oh, line. she can do better than that. Who's tall? Who's the tallest about, person? So. Chewie. <laughs> <laughs> He's the tallest, I think. Yeah, I'd rather kiss enough. a Wookiee. Is Darth Maul hooked up with anyone? There you go. Because he's, yeah. he's he's more action oriented, you know, the way he fights with the double saber. Mm-hmm. I think that they'd they'd have fun working out together. Yeah. I don't know if she'd be into his robot lower half though. Mm. Might be uh, bad memories. <laughs> I'm just not wired that way. <laughs> <laughs> Well, she's got to be with someone that she can't have sex with, so that's very important. It's got to have a critical oh, component. True. It's yeah, got to so be cursed in some way. Last I checked, Darth Maul still has a face with a mouth. There you go. So, makes it so worked out. <laughs> I mean, I don't know. Something can happen. This writes itself, you guys. But that's, he's got horns on his head. I feel like that's more dangerous than you think. You're making it seem so easy. Those horns are small and they're dull. <laughs> nubby, nubby nubs. And she's got superpowers. Oh, he's a horny yeah. guy. She, heal, she heals best. Too. Man, I don't know what, what like Buffy princess, like, uh, you know, property that'd be great for her to go, like jump into, like should she jump into the Cinderella story or jump into Beauty and the Beast? Or, you know, The Little Mermaid. She'd be funny in The Little Mermaid if she jumped into that story. You know, that character. Beauty and the Beast. That's her story. It's a little bit of her story, but I feel like I'd have to be like... Beast is totally like a brooding angel. Yeah. Yeah. Living in that castle. She'd be like like the third person in that story. I mean, she's not going to replace Belle, but it's like... He's got to get manacles around. (laughs) For sure. So it's that angel moves in with the beast. And that's the setup, and then it becomes like um, I love it. I love this buddy. Really and Faints. And basically, yeah, she gets along with Belle, like because Belle's like a like a high school version of Willow. Yeah. You did like a friends thing because I could see a friends scenario between like you know, we you need like a what do you need? You need Chandler in that setting. Well, that's Sander, I guess, huh? Gaston. And then like Gaston teams Gaston. up with like you know the master. Uh, uh, anyway, Mike, you got the second to the last thing here. Oh, sure. So I'm just surprised. I said this earlier. I think that the Hush Monster wasn't successful. They only need seven hearts. Why didn't they win? It seems <laughs> like they could do this in one night, one dorm room. You know, because I- they're gentlemen of leisure. <laughs> they're not in a rush. They don't anticipate resistance. They had to do the whole voice stealing ceremony or whatever that entails too we didn't, we didn't see all the build-up in the clock tower to what they had to do to take everyone's voices and they they uh uh need to pick specific hearts for entirely random reasons that we don't understand and after they take every heart they need to bring it back so they can show it to their friends and their friends can all golf clap uh, <laughs> everything's about presentation it's not about speed i did check uh, when I was writing the summary, 
I think the clock tower said it was one o'clock when they stole mm-hmm. the voices and got everything started and people all start to wake up and get ready for their work day around five or six. So they really only have a small window between the dorm room kids going to sleep and work people waking up. So, but so there's five of them. Only two of them would have to have gotten two hearts a night and they would have been fine. But oh, no, no, that's too much. That's too how much. Many nights, <laughs> how many nights did it go? I don't remember how many nights. Just two nights, right? It's two, two nights. nights. So maybe they need some fresh blood. Maybe they need some fresh, fresh blood in the organization, you know? Maybe they're training. Maybe some of them are in training. Oh, I would have loved if the end of the episode was really like campy and it shows like Giles holding the fairy book, like the, the fairy tale book in his hands, and he's drawing in like the margin of the book, this, this, how the fairy tale ended in Sunnydale. Like, like, you know, like that's who went to get the fairy tale book. Like it's some fake fairy tale, but like you presumably there's a couple pages at the end of each fairy tale and he's just like addending. Oh. He's addending the story with like, this is how the princess, you know, this is, you know, there's like a little stick figure with like vampire teeth, you know, for Spike. And like, he's just addending his own personal copy of the fairy tale book. And like, it's really campy. Like, like, you know, the camera's looking at the book as he's like drawing it. Like, you know, Disney camp. That's what I'm saying. It's like a Disney, it's the way a story in Disney would end. And then boom, you know, he closed the tome at the end of the episode. Okay. Yeah. Cause they, they finished a fairy tale that had no real ending. So of course I would be rushing to a dent my own personal copy of that fairy tale with how things really went down. All right, now let's uh, thank you for bearing with us while we go through all our weird noticings and trivia. And now let's move on to questions for the group. Questions for the group. Audrey, why don't you start us off? Have you ever given a handmade transparency? presentation i don't know if i ever not honestly i drew on a lot of uh overhead projector uh transparencies but i don't know if i did it in official capacity i just remember doing you drew on them for fun you never got to see them projected i definitely got i got to see them projected but i would um there was a film i was a small part of called something missy where i played a high school and i drew dirty drawings on the overhead projector that's cool (laughs) I saw a tremendous play that a friend of mine, Tony Belante, put together for a fringe festival that used a transparency um, kind of projections of the characters as transitional elements between scenes and it would kind of play out with multiple kind of moving parts. It was very much, he used it like as a puppeteering tool huh. and it was incredibly endearing. Um, it's such a wonderful tool when it comes up. I found it super endearing in this episode. Yeah, it's definitely like, it's like a big part of like education when we were growing up and kids today don't have it. The over- overhead projector is outdated. Has been replaced with uh, like, elbows you, and what with else? PowerPoint. Yeah. Do, do you remember who our history teacher was in eighth grade, Mike, that lady? The fondest memory of her, like just standing in front of the class and you think this would be boring. And I guess some kids probably were bored, but like she would just go to town on this overhead projector and transparency and just fill up like page after page, just writing her like notes. Like that was her lecture style was writing literally everything onto this transparency. And then like, you know, your job as a child 
was like, copy that down. And it was just so amazing. It was, I learned so much in that class. And I, you know, uh, hopefully there's a good equivalent. But it's like, damn, because like she was working it. Like it's one thing to have the PowerPoint where you just click. And it's like, you know, next one, next one, next one. But it's like, man, like if you're like working, like if you're working that, that, that presentation and you're, you're you know, just tough. It's so satisfying. People use doc cameras now for that. What's a doc camera? Uh, it's literally a like a high definition video camera that points down at the table and you can just put stuff under it. I love the way Giles does it because it's so funny to have <laughs> multiple slides or like transparencies telling the same information about how dangerous the gentlemen are and like with that murder scene extended, like it's awesome. <laughs> it's such yeah. a wonderful waste of time. Uh, anyway, it's a delight. Uh, so I ask, uh, what's your favorite Doug Jones performance? Uh, he played one of the gentlemen. Um, and for those who don't know his full filmography, he uh, played Abe Sapien in the Hellboy movies, and he played uh, the amphib Amphibian Man in uh, Shape of Water. He's uh, in pretty much every Guillermo del Toro movie. He's like um, Pan in Pan's Labyrinth, and he's... Uh, yeah, the hungry man, and he's uh, the ghost in uh, Crimson Peak. He's uh, in Star Trek Discovery. He, uh, <laughs> yeah, he's in a, a movie called Fifth Passenger, which also has Armin Shimmerman <laughs> and uh, Marina Sirtis from Star Trek. Uh, yeah, okay. And he's in other stuff. <laughs> so this talks about monsters. Yep. Your favorite Doug Jones performance. This one in the gen the gentleman. This is the best. It's phenomenal. What's yours, Dennis? Uh, I really like Shape of Water. Uh, that movie spoke to me. Um, and yeah, The Hungry Man's really good. Uh, I assumed John would say Star Trek Discovery for some reason, but yeah, actually, I was going to say that. I actually don't think Discovery is that great, but I do like his performance as Saru. His performance is one of the better parts of it. Yeah. I like Abe Sapien as a character, so. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Abe's good. I love, the, I love the comic books, the Hellboy comic books a lot, so. Yeah. And the comics, he's, Abe is way different. Like, he's not a he psychic. Is, so, he's more yeah. of like a military guy with a past. Yeah. I remember being conflicted about how he looked in the movie versus the comic, but it's really hard to translate Mike Mignola's art and you know to live action so it is yeah. they should have given it to the director of cabinet dr caligari he would have been able to handle <laughs> that translation but resurrect this old german man look when the project is right it's right <laughs> uh mike you got the next question sure uh apparently everyone in sunnydale will eventually have to deal with the problem of what would you do with Spike for a few days? Uh, what's your makeshift uh, Spike hostage situation? This feels like kind of a sexy question. Can be. <laughs> well, I would definitely tie him up. <laughs> uh, but I have a fold-out couch, so he would probably stay there instead of tied to a chair. He wouldn't watch me when I sleep if I could help it. So you blindfold him? <laughs> It'd be a separate room. <laughs> So you got a Xander uh, scenario, it sounds like. But I would, I would want to use my time to have him teach me the ways of crime. I would try to take advantage of his presence and be like, 
you know, you got any good scams you can teach me? What's a good way to like, <laughs> you know, make a living as a vampire? What's going on? Flims and flams. Mm-hmm. What about you, John? Well, I'm just thinking like right now, I am already currently couch surfing at someone's place. So if I also had a vampire in tow, that would be really shitty. <laughs> be like, yeah, I'm staying here. Also, this is a vampire that we have to keep tied up. But don't worry, he won't bite you. That would be bad uh, couch surfing. I'm surprised they didn't do any Xander's mom's joke. Like she could just come down the st- I mean, there's so many opportunities. I, your situation also sounds like a Xander scenario. Yeah. <laughs> it's, amazing. it's so amazing. Audrey, what'd you do? Um, I would probably pick his brain about his favorite mus- musicians or music over time and I- any shows or anything. And I just love show and tell. So I would probably just force him to watch various YouTube clips and episodes of or movies that I think I like or that I think he would like. It'd be like, oh, but have you seen this? You know, <laughs> yeah, I'd probably do that. Yeah, I probably would just like make him, I, we'd probably just like hang out, listen to records. You got a big house. He could probably occupy a wing and yeah. be okay. Just nobody go over there in those rooms. Those are the vampire rooms. Where would he go? I have a cleaning lady who shows up. I don't know where he'd go. That would be an interesting week. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't think my situation's that different from Xander's either. Like, I think I want him tied up because he's super dangerous while he's visiting. Maybe on the, the back porch. The cats. You've got like the cute cat that can like, that, that you know, will become best friends with Spike. That'd be adorable. So there's the Spike <laughs> the and the cat thing that happens. It would be a great thing where like, um, like if, whenever Spike falls asleep and the cat snuggles up, you can take like photos and like perpetually haunt him with this, this adorable photo of him and a cat. And you'd be like, that's not me. It's not my bloodlust. You know, it's like, <laughs> it's not on brand for Spike. Dude, good. Good writing on that. I totally, I totally love that. Would do vampires show up on camera? Uh, which well, they show up on. I'm like, I don't want to get into that. Okay. All right, I got another question for y'all. Um, so Hush is an amazing monster, right? Like, I'm surprised Tim Burton hasn't tried to put his finger on it in some way or another. But why hasn't this monster been ripped off a billion times? I saw this. And I felt like it was still a fresh monster. Like that's what was most shocking. Like there's a couple fresh monsters on Buffy. This is the most fully realized, completely fresh monster that I think we've seen. Why isn't it ripped off or is it? And I just haven't watched enough horror movies. Uh, so what I was thinking, this was an independent thought that I moved to in answer to this was I was thinking the gentlemen seem, seemed like they were way ahead of the curve of what, and now this is, so similar to the style monsters are in now. Um, and I named it like, it's so similar to like the slender man where it's like the very long slender man in the suit um, and the white face. And I think the trend now is more the face is being blank. Um, but even like the new Blair witch movie was in that style. Um, some of the monsters in the conjuring series look like that. Uh, there's the silence from Dr. Who the gentleman kind of hit on something. It's like lanky, gray-faced thing that's really in now no i mean it's it's like visually similar right like there's something it evokes that's i think similar to the the slender man but the the taking away the sound seems like such an amazing trope to play with Mm. it's just so special and it seems like such an easy thing to play with you could 
I, it doesn't necessarily have to be that same creepy slender character, but just like adding silence and like a creepy slow moving thing. Like, yeah. I don't know. It's so cool. I don't know. This just brings the show up to like a notch in terms of what I expect now. So I'm, sa- I'm a little sad because you guys are like, this is the best part of season four. <laughs> and that there's so much buildup around this episode. Like, you know, Audrey was super excited to, you know, to be on the episode. Multiple people have asked to be on this episode in particular. So it's like, I know this is going to be good. And it was. <laughs> it was totally lived up to the hype. This is definitely a high watermark, but there are still some good episodes left in season four. Don't, don't lose heart completely. Yeah. Lose heart. Well, I, I'm not because I love other episodes besides this one so much. Like the Harmony Spike episode is my favorite so far, which I immediately wanted to watch a second time as soon as it was over. This, I didn't immediately want to watch a second time, but I, I will watch it again. All right. I think that's it for questions. Uh, so why don't we move on to uh, recommendations? Recommendations. Uh, so Audrey, looks like you got some recs. Yes. I'll start with the Powerpuff Girls season five, episode 12, The Silent Treatment. It's just, it's, it's another, it's a Powerpuff Girl silent episode. Mm-hmm. So my second recommendation, I love Twin Peaks, so I recommend all of it. But the very last episode of the new season three finale scene has a fantastic scream that ends uh <laughs> the whole shebang and i look i love like it's like i've watched that episode already like four times i know it's only been out for a year but (laughs) um that blood curdling scream definitely gives me chills every time i see it so season three of uh twin peaks actually broke my brain uh because i had a moment so you know my (laughs) my brother's schizophrenic and he'll describe events that i know her hallucinations but he describes them as real and so he'll describe like a spider that comes out of the TV or something like that. You know, I had a moment like that with Twin Peaks. You know, there's the moment in season three where there's the characters who are like swatting at a fly. I like had a fly come out of that TV or come out. Of, I was watching on a, a tablet, but it came out of the tablet into my room during that moment. It was crazy. Like they swatted at it. And I guess it was, I was seeing a fly and I was like, it's interesting. There's, they actually got this fly to stand still for it, but it was actually just on my tablet. And there was like, <laughs> but when Dude. they swatted at it, it like it flew out into my room, and I was like, ah! <laughs> "It's a creepy show." Uh, so uh, my recs were um, the 1922 Nosferatu because that's uh, directly referenced by Joss, and it's a silent film. Um, and there's Doug Jones was actually supposed to make a remake of Nosferatu. There was a Kickstarter for it that I think got funded. I don't back in 2016. I don't think it ever got released or made. Um, but he would have obviously been a perfect cast for Count Orlock. Um, I'm also going to recommend uh, the 1928 silent film, The Man Who Laughs, because uh, that is the grimmest frozen smile. Um, a lot of people say that movie is where the Joker got his look from, uh, but I think it also was an influence for the style of the gentleman. Uh, the 1932 movie, The v- Vampire with a Y, which is not silent, but was um, a director's first talkie and like barely has any sound in it and is um, loosely based on the vampire novel Carmilla, uh, but is very dreamlike and strange and has long moments of silence. Uh, I'm going to recommend in terms of modern silent or near silent films, uh, the silent films of Guy Madden, Canadian filmmaker, kind of experimental, uh, very funny, does a lot of like... Uh, films 
that looked like they were filmed in the silent era. Uh, uses yeah. a lot of like visuals of old silent films. Uh, he shoots like on like eight millimeter, old eight millimeter cameras with like Vaseline in the lens is like his big thing. They always look, so it always looks really dreamlike and, and old fashioned. I also recommend uh, these two movies that are not silent movies, but have protagonists or at least main characters who are mute. The Great Silence, which is a crazy spaghetti Western uh, and Sympathy for Mr. Vengeance, which is um, the first of the uh, Vengeance trilogy by... Uh, What's his name? Um, Park Chan Wook. He also did um, Lady Vengeance and Old Boy. Uh, so those, that's really good. The main character is uh, Deaf Mute. Um, and I'm gonna, if you want to look at some real nightmare mute stuff or uh, silent stuff, uh, the Moment Chance. Search Moment Chance. Um, they, I mean, they were like uh, they're popular like mime troupe. They've been on um, like the Muppet Show. Their Muppet Show stuff freaks me out. Because it's like guys with like masks, but some of them are clay masks. So they're like manipulating their own faces during the presentation. And the, the weird thing is like the studio audience is the studio audience is laughing, but it's like it's creepy. <laughs> I thought of one more recommendation if I can right. pass one yeah. little one. And this is mainly just because of the soundtrack being so awesome in Hush. I really love Philip Glass and the Kronos Quartets re redoing the soundtrack for the 1931 Dracula. Uh, that that is a really awesome soundtrack. Cool, good rec. Thank you. That sounds great. Uh, why don't we move on to predictions? <laughs> Virgin predictions. So, uh, currently, Michael, you are at a 63.7%. hoo All right, let's talk about some old predictions that you have made. So, uh, this one we actually should have already given you in pangs, I realized, because in season two, episode 20, you said that there will be more Xander ogling scenes. So, we can give that to you in pangs when uh, Anya was literally ogling Xander while he was digging a hole. Or we could give it to you now of uh, Xander in his underpants. <laughs> Where we, the viewer, will ogle Xander. Also, yeah. Xander is totally, he's like, I'm very biteable. And he's like sticking his ass right out for Spike. <laughs> yeah, that is one of the slashiest scenes I've ever seen. Can we just get a, we need a top slash scenes. Like, <laughs> can we just get a, we need a top slash scenes like youtube thing that will be like our biggest hit all right that is confirmed okay this one's getting more controversial in season three episode 11 that was gingerbread mike you predicted more fairy tale characters as villains so you could look at this prediction as fairy tales from the real world like hansel and gretel will become villains like it did in gingerbread or you could look at this as sort of fairy tales a genre of monster which would apply to the gentleman, even though the fairy tale is made up. So I feel like this one is kind of negotiable. Mike gets it. Because he said more fairy tale like villains and Hansel and Gretel are not villains in the fairy tale. So it's already taking. Like, the, the, it says more fairy tale characters as villains is the literal thing that it says. Well, he, he still gets it. He gets it because they say it's a fairy tale. Yeah. Okay. Audrey, do you want to um, give a vote here? I agree. Okay, that's confirmed. Yeah. <laughs> You're all wonderful people. Uh, last one, and I, I, 
I'm I watched a couple episodes ahead, and I don't know. So I don't know if this is the right time to do this, but um, Mike predicted that Buffy and Riley will hook up this season. Now, in this episode, they're definitely seem like there's the relationship's gotten a little further when they see each other, uh, and everybody's silent. They like embrace. Have Buffy and Riley hooked up this season yet? Ever? Well, this is their first kiss. Is this episode? Okay, all right. It is their first kiss. That's what I thought. I just wasn't sure if I missed it. So, does that count uh, for purposes of this show? Does uh, does that kiss count as hooking up? I really, for- I know we've argued about this a bunch, and I really forget where we landed on it. Uh, <laughs> I believe the last time we answered a hookup question, we decided that a kiss was enough to be hooking up. Um, all right, then- let's, let's stay within universe consistent. <laughs> Then let's yeah, allow so yeah. in um, let's argue for ten minutes about it now. <laughs> in something blue, I mean, it tech, it's like what you would do in high school. You would literally argue about. Technically, we hooked up. No, we didn't hook up. It was right. just a, it was, we made out, but it was a dream. It so, in our very last episode, in something blue, Mike had predicted that um, Buffy will hook up with Angel and then Spike. We <laughs> said that the something blue episode counts as hooking up with Spike because they kissed. Was what we said. Mm. Um, so, in this case, uh, have Buffy and Riley hooked up? Sounds like the jury says yes. Audrey, do you care to um, have an opinion about this? I think it's the preamble to the hookup. Just because they kiss, but then, you know, when, when no one can talk, they kiss. But then suddenly they all have their voices back and they sit down kind of uncomfortably across That's from a good each point. to have a discussion. So It's sort of protracted. I, yeah, yeah, it's kind of like a, well you know we have both have a lot to explain to each other so that doesn't necessarily mean that that kiss is okay you can give it to me now and give it to me next episode because they look like they're about to look up (laughs) and i don't know we don't know what's happening next episode mike they they could both die in a fire so dennis and travis say it's a hookup audrey says not quite i'm gonna go ahead and say it's a hookup and make it a three to one vote Right. Um, partly because I don't want to deal with the tie and partly because um, no, of the precedent. That's fine. I just wanted to point out that it wasn't like a smooth sailing after that kiss. That's yes, all. I am I am persuaded by that. So I, I don't believe- I do think though when he sees her do that like swing kick and the guy goes flying across the room, he's like, damn. <laughs> <laughs> oh shoot. He does have a damn face. <laughs> an odd damn it's also obvious like he he's like surprised and none of his group of people know what's going on how to fight it and buffy is there and she obviously knows like or is figuring it out on the fly very quickly because of her premonition you know remembering the box and trying to assemble to him the box to smash so yeah that's okay so I believe that's all confirmations for you. So that should make your score go up. Let's see. Dude, dude, uh, at, 61. <laughs> at this point, Mike, we started off, you were at a 63 and change. You are now at a 64.5. Hey. Wow. You need so much to move the needle when you have a billion predictions out there. And I it's want to add true. some more, if that's all right. Please uh, do. I think that Giles' girlfriend, Olivia, okay, I shouldn't even call her the girlfriend, Olivia, will need a Scooby Gang rescue in a future episode. Not just Giles, Scooby Gang. Another woman, not Olivia, will know Giles as Ripper. I think Giles has left a... A, tra- un- a trail of ripped hearts. 
You can call them ripped hearts. You've been ripping through them. And some of them are going to come visit or something. Uh, I think Tara will cast a spell. And Tara and Willow are going to hook up. Are you sure you want to use the phrase hook up? <laughs> Damn it. <laughs> clearly, clearly, we now have precedent that hooking up is just making out. So it's I think a kiss. It's just say kiss. Tara and Willow kiss. will kiss. There you go. Kiss. There we go. All right. I got to be so careful. You're right. Hooking up is this old school 90s phrase that is meaningless. <laughs> they will kiss. Also, I love this. This, this terrible cast of spell, which is this like this character will have breakfast. You know, like it feels like that's a low hanging fruit because she's in the Wiccan club. And we've already seen her and yeah. Willow do some magics. Okay. You think Tara casting spell is not a big deal? I mean, I didn't say she's going to master the four elements. She's going to cast a spell. <laughs> I think it's fine for you to do this. Yeah. All right, all right, fine. I'll, I'll, let, me, let me improve it a little bit. Tara will cast a spell to save Willow. Oh. Boom, a little more exciting. All right, I think that's predictions. I got one more. Oh, no, it's not. Tara will make fun of Xander and join the club. <laughs> <laughs> that should totally be a Scooby initiation. Just like, you have to, yeah, humiliate Xander. But just make fun of is fine. Deep stuff. So Professor Walsh directly states like the theme of this episode at the beginning and like the opening lines is has a lecture or maybe a dream lecture uh, that uh, she's talking about communication and language and they're not the same thing. So thank you, Professor Walsh, for telling us that theme. Uh, it's obviously demonstrated in the end when Riley and Buffy stop talking to each other after they learned how to communicate in silence. Yeah. I, I also noticed so. that and felt like it was heavy handed. Uh, I, I do think it's really interesting though. Like now I can't remember where I read this, but apparently supposedly Joss Whedon wrote this, said he was wanted to write this episode because he read a review of his, of Buffy that it's us. Uh, all hinged on the dialogue. The strongest part of Buffy was the dialogue. And so like to challenge himself, he's gonna write an episode without dialogue. And I think it's like, partly it's like, that's silly because like this episode, when they're not talking, it's still dialogue. <laughs> um, so first of all, there's only about 35 minutes of this episode that is the no dialogue part. It's actually, well, no, sorry, 25 minutes. That's the no dialogue part. It's less of the episode than it kind of feels like. Um, and secondly, like, there are so many just devices that are used constantly to bring verbal communication back into the episode when they can't speak. So like there's a notepad, there's a sign, there's whiteboards, there's a TV, there's lip reading, there's overhead projectors, there's post-it notes, there's um, like, like they do everything they can to like put the dialogue back in. And the, um, the human characters, even when they are using gestures to communicate, it's still dialogue. Like it's still a back and forth statement well, and response. St back and forth statement and response is different from dialogue because that's still silent communication. Uh, but I totally agree about like, let's now have a robot voice. Let's do an actual presentation where there's like everything being written out. Like, so I think Joss kind of failed on that challenge he gave himself. The way that the human characters talk 
is almost like slated into lines of dialogue, even when they're communicating non-verbally. Where like there's that there's this really awkward moment where uh, Riley breaks up a fight, and it's like there's a man who's like, "I'm gonna punch you." But he doesn't say it, but he does say it. And then Riley's like, "No, make peace." And the other guy's like, "I'm gonna punch you." And then he like he does this really awkward thing where he straightens the guy's jacket that is totally goofy, and it just feels like this like one to one substitution for words, which is different than the way that like the gentleman and the crazy monsters non-verbally communicate, which is way more atmospheric. It's way more actually visual as opposed to feeling like a substitute for dialogue. And the thing that got me thinking about was like, how much like of the communication that's in this episode that's not actually speaking is just like shadows of speech, like writing or lip syncing or even some of the, the gesturing that happens like I feel like this episode really like shows that for a certain mindset, and I think it's mine, uh, like verbal communication is communication. And then when, when that's missing, we just like substitute shit in rather than like actually communicating a different way, which is possible. And I think that the, the gentlemen show that, right? The gentlemen actually do communicate through like a different, like are different in the way they communicate. But every single other thing feels like dialogue substitutes rather than something else. Well, I mean, I, I feel like the actors miming are doing a good job. They're not doing as good a job as the gentleman in their form of creepy communication. But well, as a formal experiment, it feels like it's a, it almost feels like he used a bunch of cheat codes in a way yeah. to get around the, 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 the creative constraint of not, not dialogue. Okay, so uh, I'm going to paraphrase from the monster book um, again this episode. Uh, so this is... Um, German author Ernst Theodor Amadeus Hoffmann in 1817 wrote the story of the Sandman, a wicked man who comes to little children when they won't go to bed and throws handfuls of sand into their eyes so that they jump out of their heads all bloody and puts them into a bag and takes them to the half moon as food for his little ones. And they sit there in the nest and have hooked beaks like owls and they pick naughty little boys and girls' eyes out with them. Um... And Sigmund Freud in The Uncanny found the loss of, eye, of eyes imagery a metaphor for castration fears. Uh, thank you, Freud. Um, so eyes, genital, and this is, this is me paraphrasing Bissette's response to that. Um, eyes, genitals, voice, all embody aspect of the dread of sleep, that most vulnerable state of being when we might fall prey to dreams, nightmares, or the boogeyman. Um, so because I <laughs> think... Freud overstates the castration fear, uh, as is Freud's way, or Freud, I mean. Um, uh, but just the, the thematic similarities of, like, of losing senses, um, and Bissette connects it more with the fear of sleeping, the fear of like the dream time. Um, so I thought that was interesting. Do you, do you agree? Do you think it's fear of sleep? Uh, well, I think, yeah, I th you know, if you look at, like, when Mary Shelley talks talked about creating the Frankenstein story, it, like, appeared to her first as an image of, like, a creature, of, like, a giant man standing over her bed. I think, like, like, and I think, I think that's the easiest thing if you're trying to create something really scary to go to is the fear of sleeping, the fear of something hovering over you while you're trying to sleep when you're at your most vulnerable state. And you can get like more symbolic about it, about like 
not just because you're vulnerable to outside attacks, but that's when your mind is vulnerable to your own unconscious. Um, but that's, that's it. like, if I'm trying to make a horror story or something, I try to stay away from that, like, when you're sleeping, because I feel like that's that's the cheat codes, is, like, well, somebody attack. Like, you're laying in bed, and you think you're safe, and there's a shadowy thing. Um, but, yeah, I think that's, like, that's definitely, like like, the gentleman come at you when you're in bed and take your heart out and you can't move because you're strapped down and it all seems very like um night terrors related kind of thing so i think i think those are that's why like uh these this is like him this was like joss whedon aiming more towards less towards monsters as fun things and more towards like can i make a monster that's actually scary and it starts with like what's something that attacks you when you're near sleep so, but the only guy that we see get killed, right, is the guy that's like held down in bed, right? Yeah. Well, and Olivia like wakes up from bed and sees them outside the window. You're still in your like vulnerable. Oh, that's interesting to tie them to the space. Like, I didn't think about that until you stated it like that. It does feel like more of a sleep monster then. Yeah. In the dreamlike quality too of the floating. It's like they came from a dream. Yeah. It opens with a dream sequence, the episode does. Damn. It might all just be a dream, that episode. <laughs> and with that, we say pleasant dreams, and I'll see you in hell. And also, you can find my books everywhere. And uh, I was just on an episode of KSDAD Radio, if you want to hear me talk more about monsters. Um, and you can buy my comic in the most recent issue of Famous Monsters of Filmland out in October. Uh, I have a whisper in the woods, the beginning of that story in there. So uh, anyway, uh, what else are people doing? Where can people find it? People. Zinlarella on Instagram. Yeah. I like to doodle. I post drawings and I might even post a drawing related to this hush podcast soon. Ooh, can't wait. Mm. Yeah. (laughs) And yeah, uh, you can follow us everywhere as Buffy Virgin or Buffy Virgin pod. Uh, uh, please subscribe and like us. Thank you for all the reviews and notes. We really appreciate it. Uh, if you say something, we'll read it on air. And yeah, we'll see you in hell, guys.